Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Claire McKenna, and you're listening to Changemakers, the podcast that speaks to people at the forefront of change. But you should never underestimate the power of a conversation to reframe the way we think, which leads in to the information we go on to share and the conversations we have. We can all be part of the change process. Oh, today's episode is a special one. I know I say that a lot, but it is. And it's about the power of connection, which is really why I do what I do, or at least it's one of my favorite elements of what I do for a living, bringing people together, letting people tell their stories and the power of human connection. Karen O'Donoghue is my guest today. We met a while back when I interviewed her for TV. She worked for GIY, Grow It Yourself, and she had so much enthusiasm and charisma, she made me want to rush out to the dirt and get planting vegetables straight away. We connected since on social media, and aside from the odd comment, that's been it, but I've never forgotten her, her energy, her red lipstick, and her enthusiasm for life. She contacted me again recently about the war in Ukraine and the families coming to Ireland. Two and a half thousand Irish people have registered their homes to those displaced and it's been incredible to see. Karen has opened up her family home too, as you'll hear in the piece. I don't think there's anyone who hasn't been moved and frightened by what's happening. Many have made the point that there have been wars happening across the world in Yemen, Sudan, to name but a few, and it's not so long ago that Syrians had to flee too. The immediate images that are being shared on social media are making a difference this time in how we're seeing it and how it's impacting us. Likewise, the proximity and the ramifications of Ukraine, this war has the potential to spill over. But the point remains that no war and blatant disregard of human life is acceptable. And when reading the history books of World War One and Two, I think we all thought it was a different time. And yet here we are. Likewise, I think With Syria and other countries, there were mistakes made here in Ireland in how we treated people that flocked here. Direct provision was neither an adequate or a temporary solution. But while I have been having all the feels the same as you with what's been going on, this episode is ultimately one of hope, which is all we have in times like these. Well, that and kindness and compassion Karen speaks about how everybody can do something and how even the smallest of actions can make the biggest difference. So Karen, we met talking about vegetables um, and I've just told you that I never forgot that talk. And I then subsequently had you on my radio show, but you got in touch with me again recently and I discovered that you had moved jobs. So Mm -hmm. tell me a little bit about that. So in August last year, um, after six years with GIY, uh, Michael Kelly and the team 
it was time for me to make a move and I joined Change X uh, with Paul O'Hara and Neve and the incredible crew there. So um, same kind of sphere, you know, same world of doing good and trying to affect change in the world, but um, with a much broader portfolio and tech, which is like not my comfort zone whatsoever. So what is ChangeX? Explain to people the work they do. It's been, um, it was founded about seven years ago by Neve and Paul, uh, headquartered in, in Ireland, but now with an office in New York and an incredible community of change makers all around the world. And it was born out of a realization by Paul and Neve that through their work, and, and, and working with people in, in Ashoka and the like, they were hearing of and meeting people behind really simple, hugely impactful ideas that were addressing a broad range of issues, right? In society, environment, uh, li- you know, literacy, lack of education, et cetera, et cetera. And they were meeting these incredible social innovators, but the ideas and the impact of them were staying, uh, were not scaling They were staying very much in the area or the region in which they were started, even though they were the solution to exactly the same problem, either in different parts of that country or a whole other country. And so what Neve and Paul decided to do was create this platform whereby the idea could effectively be packaged and broken down into really simple steps to be made available on a platform so that communities anywhere could access them and then apply them in their own space. That That's it in an absolute nutshell. It's simply taking a really good idea over here, presenting it on the ChangeX platform so that a community over there can go and do it. Um, and then a couple of years on, obviously the tech improved, the process improved, um, the resources have improved, the ideas themselves have improved. Um, we more recently brought in some funding partners. And so we have the likes of Microsoft and the Lego Foundation who brought in what at times, Claire, is the all-important seed funding that a community needs to get up and running. So, you know, we're not talking about millions and millions of euros or dollars here. We're talking about good, significant pots of cash that are made available to communities around the world that could break down to 500 euros going to a school or a community group to start a pollinator uh, garden, or €5,000 going to start a community fridge. And the impact of it is just incredible. So yeah, it's been an absolute joy and um, very much thrown into the deep end because, as you kindly said, you know, I had lived and breathed food and food growing and food sustainability for six years with GIY. And suddenly I'm learning about things like civic tech and the importance of play, you know, and learning through play and meeting incredible social innovators from all over the world. So, yeah, it's a joy. And did you just reach a point where you were looking for a change, if you'll pardon the pun? <laughs> yeah, I, I really was. Um, and, you know, everything has a time and place. And I am I'm incredibly proud of the work that I did with GIY. I think I grew as a human during my time with them and I contributed massively to GIY's development. And then what I noticed is, as my role within GIY had changed over the years, 
I kind of moved from community, like, you know, proper hands in the soil, you know, community people to partnerships. And whilst that was obviously critical because every, <coughs> excuse me, social innovation, every social enterprise needs funding to do the work that it does. And I was coming into contact with really cool, you know, corporate partners and other organizations like Rethink Ireland, et cetera. And I just felt I was com- I was stepping too far away from what was on the ground and I needed to get back into that. Um, so, yeah, it was definitely a time for a change. And um, yeah, there was Change X waiting for me. And that's so interesting that we're going to talk a little bit about the importance of community and grassroots level in a moment. But where did you start to be conscious of the war in Ukraine? I live with my mum and she is old school. She watches every single bulletin on Irish TV, news is on every hour on the hour and she reads every newspaper cover to cover. So I've been conscious of it since the whispers. It was a worry. Um, I, w- I would not choose to consume news in that way if I wasn't in such close proximity to her. But when did you become conscious of it? Certainly by, you know, the kind of national coverage of it by, you know, RTE um, in the first instance. And I've got to be honest with you, I, I, I don't consider myself to be hugely informed by world affairs because um, <laughs> sometimes I just think if I got too into it, my head would melt and I'd never get out of bed. I'd be so overwhelmed. So I kind of tend to stay focused on local and what can I do with what's in front of me. But one could not ignore what was coming through our screens or through the radio in terms of the war that was happening. And whilst I wouldn't for one second be able to offer an opinion on what was happening politically or, or you know, from a military perspective, what I saw immediately was the people. And I saw women and children and families with shock and horror and devastation on their faces and I just that that's that's what happened and so I know um a woman here in in Yall I live in East Cork and I know a woman here um Oksana and her husband Michal and so in the first instance I just did that you know I suppose well-intentioned but pretty useless you know whatsapp message of oh my god it's awful i hope everybody you know there is okay sending love you know great nice message but like god in the context of what's actually going on just just a nice intention and then very quickly after that when the humanitarian crisis and the scale of it and the devastation of it and the immediate need for anybody that could help to help became clearer my next message to them was right what can I do how can I help who's where how do we need to get them who needs to be transported who needs to be housed what's the plan and um as my friends and family will tell you like when I go from oh listen I'm really sorry sending you love to okay what's the plan let's go is a totally different Karen (laughs) steps into the room and into the conversation and so it began so so began our uh our response, our local, our family, our family response, which has become our local response uh, to the crisis. 
And I've, I've really been fascinated. It, it was the catalyst to me starting this podcast. What is that inertia? What is that spark that begins and then moves to action? Because there isn't one of us that wasn't moved by the images we saw. Um, but it's it's some who really take it that step on from donating um, and wanting to do more, but not knowing what to do next. Why do you think you decided to take a step on? Well, I, I think it's part and parcel of, of who I am. And like, I remember as a small girl being in my parents' house in the Curra in Kildare and watching images of the famine in Ethiopia. I mean, that that is an image of those small children like that I will never forget and nor should I. And, and I remember literally getting up off the couch and going upstairs to my room to my money box and I don't know, whatever, I had five pounds in it or something. And immediately just coming downstairs and saying, like, you have to like you have to give it to them. How do how do we give this to them? So, you know, I, I, that I think that's just who I am. And I'm a kind of like see it, do it, and maybe sometimes ask questions later. Um, and so when when this when I when I was confronted with what was happening in the Ukraine from my place of safety and privilege, Claire, you know, in my house watching it on a screen, that kicked in. In the first instance, was right. What can we do now? But I suppose the second reason, and I'm sure you found this from speaking to to all the people in your in your career and in your world, you know, we're so motivated to take action based on our own life experiences, and. I have experienced a time in my life when not through war, but through a really, really traumatic time um, that I was homeless, pretty much. I uh, was in, I couldn't come home and my small little boy and I were in a position where if it was not for the kindness of a friend of a friend, you know, I, I, I don't know what we would have done. I mean, something would have happened but in that moment I don't know what we would have done and so I will never forget the kindness of that it was an unconditional invitation to take up this apartment and that is just part and parcel of who I am and so I think personally that memory and that experience made me realize I am lucky enough and I have been privileged enough to be in a position where I have space in my home and I have the ability to offer it to somebody else and that's just what I have to do so I think it was a combination of two things like it's it's who I am and then I've had life experience that have shaped choices like decisions like that and we are starting to change the conversation on how we can help and I, I mean look Charity is so important and we've had lots of the organisations saying even when it comes to physical donations, please send money. We have mm. all the camps worldwide and that's where it needs to go. And, you know, there's no doubt that that sort of aid is necessary in any kind of emergency. You even spoke about the funding at Change X and, and how that really helps. So there's no question that a, a financial donation makes a difference. But we're starting to talk a little bit more rather than us feeling pity for, for somebody and, you know, 
helping them in that way that we look people a bit more eye to eye as being yeah. the very same as us and how can we help them oh 100% i mean i fully understand that we're all using the word refugee and i i i understand why but you know when i look at the the the, the women that are living in our home right now um you know they're they are refugees but they are irina who is a really talented shoe designer who had her own business at home and an incredible workshop who loves glitter you know jenna is a a logistics expert she's sitting at my kitchen island desperately working for her company to help get medication to hospitals in the ukraine like tomorrow we have anna she's a doctor she managed to get to germany she's coming out um, like Anastasia and her little one, like she's a director of HR. You know, these are women who are just like you and I, you know, who who like coffee, don't like coffee, <laughs> who who love their children and at the same time can't wait for them to go to bed. <laughs> you know, like they are women and their children are children. And I, you know, and their men are their men. I mean, I can't speak to that because I'm just talking about the women that I'm seeing around me, but but they are people and we must not forget that. Um, they may be here as refugees, but they are just human beings in our world with likes and dislikes, and we need to be respectful of them. And, you know, my brain, like when I, I was listening to an interview this morning and, and learning that 10 million people have been displaced in Ukraine, that's twice the population of Ireland, 10 million people. And I have such respect for the organizations, you know, like the Red Cross or or Concern or whomever who are on the ground. And, you know, if if those agencies are saying we need money, well, then listen to them. Like, that's what we have to send. But at the same time, I know that whilst they're doing that, you and I can do what we can do back here at home, because when the families come, like, just think to yourself, what would you need? What would you need if you had to upstick with a bag on your back with your children, leaving your partner and maybe your dad or your brother or whomever behind? Like, what would you need to feel okay in a completely new place, particularly if you don't even speak the language? And of course, you need a welcome. You need a welcome and you need assurance that you're safe. So we can all do that. Like, we can all do that. And I think Ireland is being really acknowledged and credited for having that beautiful welcome that we're so famous of. But then we need to back it up with action. So now we're really good at making sure that people are given clothes, they're given shoes, they're given toiletries, they're given basic needs. Excellent. Let's keep that going. But in time, and I suppose this is where my brain is thinking on Eclair, is what can we do now so that in time, as more and more of these people and and women and children and nanas and granddads are coming into our country what can we do so that they feel really part of our society like they're not bolted on they're welcomed and they're part of and so it's amazing to see the response that we have in terms of homes and bringing them into and introducing them into our schools but you know what what is our community response and like we all saw and you and I talked previously about the the community response to covid and how amazing that was. And like the reality is there are people in communities all over Ireland doing that day in, day out. Like there are community minded people who 
oftentimes are below the radar and they're just doing their thing and they're the ones that you can rely on to get stuff done in the community. So we need, we just need more of that. It needs to be recognised and it needs to be supported and it does need to be coordinated, you know, because this is full on. Like I've never experienced anything like this before. Um, and so communities need to be helped and supported in the way that, so you know, so that they don't burn out or so that all the energy and goodwill doesn't get lost, you know, in the kind of chaos of it all. But uh, that's what we need to do. We need to recognize the incredible value that community has to the people in it in the first place and then to the people, the new people joining them. I think it's so important that you mentioned the language that we use. I had a, a, a beautiful friend give me a voice note through Instagram she had a, a story in a way similar to yours. She knew somebody um, who was Ukrainian, who had family there. She went to the airport to meet them coming home. And she said, of course, there's some sadness there, but these were beautiful people. There was a lot of love there. And we need to not use that loaded term of, of refugee because mm. it comes with this image. And, and And as you say, it makes it into a bit of a and us and them mentality, whereas we need to be meeting people eye to eye. So how did this all come about after this WhatsApp that you sent to Oksana? What what happened next and, and how did you end up welcoming families to Cork? So I suppose I'm again lucky in that I was able to respond personally. And, you know, I I had already been speaking with my partner, Paul, and my children, Dylan and Saoirse, as this was kind of starting to gather at pace. And, and, you know, we made a family decision because I couldn't just go off and do this on, on my own bat. You know, I have a, I have my own children to consider and, 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 and Paul, obviously. So the first thing we did was as a family decide that we were going to do what we could, where we could. And that was it. Knowing that it was going to be challenging. I mean, you know, I don't know if we went into it with our eyes completely wide open, but open enough. So that was the first thing. And then we basically got, again, back to WhatsApp messages saying, okay, Nadia and her family are coming. They had uh, a host family in Kana, so people we'd never met before. And suddenly it was like, okay, who are these people? What do they need? How are we going to get them from Dublin airport to the host family in Kana? Connect in with... Uh, that family there what do they need because you know it's one thing to have four bedrooms or three spare bedrooms but you know you may not have everything else in place and so there was a really big call out across our own network um we set up a, a gofundme page because we knew there was going to be costs involved and we literally put a call out saying we need help with transport, we need help with lifts, we need donations, we need a mattress, <laughs> we need a bed. When I think about it, like these are the things we need to create a safe, warm, welcoming space for Nadia and her family. So that was the first thing. And, and like off it went. And the response, Claire, like I, I still can't believe it. I, I just still can't actually believe it. So the response from people that we don't even know, like people that we do know and people that we don't know was immediate. Yes. How can we help? What do you need? And so we've had bags of shoes and bags of clothes and bags of toiletries and all this kind of stuff and car seats and prams and buggies and toys and books and 
kindness and, you know, little children making out welcoming posters for the little children coming in. Like, you know, my son learning Ukrainian through Google Translator so he could say good morning to people. Like, unbelievable. Like this this man phoned up and said, all I can do is put up a, in, put in a washing line. That's all. That's all I can do. And we were like, great, put up a washing line because washing will need to be done. <laughs> Laundry will still happen. And, and that was his way of connecting and giving and being part of. And um, so it began. And so we had to put a bit of manners on it. And, you know, God love an Excel spreadsheet and be a bit organized about it and just stay very focused and very purposeful, I suppose. And so Nadia arrived and her family arrived and they got settled and then quick, fast, the next message came in from Mihola Aksana to say, Irina, they need a home and they won't travel without each other. And I think that's something that we need to be really cognizant of, right? Like, like rightly, everybody's talking about the moms and children coming in. And uh, that's 100% true. But there's also going to be solo travelers coming in, you know, young women coming in by themselves who we need to really mind. But there's also extended families, you know, like everybody we've helped so far and all the families we've been in contact with so far are moms, you know, like the moms that we identify with, the moms that suddenly had to become the real decider makers, sorter outers of their extended family who now have to look after children and parents. Like, so they're coming as one, as groups and how we're going to accommodate uh, larger numbers of families needing and deserving to stay together. But yeah, so anyway, then it just it just kept going. And then Irina and, and the gang arrived here and we did more sorting and more moving around the beds and getting the pillows. And, you know, like Gary Vaux Hotel gave us sheets and towels and duvets and pillows. You know, like that's how responsive everybody was. But I have to say this, it's so important that whilst we were doing this as a kind of like on the ground kind of grassroots response, A, we needed to stay informed by what we were being advised by the Red Cross, clearly looking at how the pledge portal was being developed and making sure that, you know, whatever guidance was coming out from there, we also adhered to. So it is still really important that every one of us either will be guard the vetted or actually Mary, who um, is coming in a little while because she's going to meet Anastasia and Mira. She was like, let's just all go to the guard the station in Middleton and, and, and register ourselves there with them and who's staying with us. And I was like, genius idea, you know, because we have to make sure that, yes, it's great what we're doing and it's really well intentioned and it's with a good heart, but we also have to make sure that we adhere the highest standards of care here because we're we're you know we're welcoming people into our homes and everybody needs to be open and transparent about that one friend will contact another friend and we'll put the call out and and so it continues and like before families arriving in in the next 48 hours and so who have you got in in your house three women and their children yes yeah, so we have um arena and jenya and they come with their two little girls, so who are both five, so, so Lizzie uh, and Solia. And then Irina's mom and dad arrived by ferry a few days later. Uh, so Tatiana and Misha arrived. So yeah, they're all in the, <laughs> in the 
relax here with myself and Paul and the kids and the dogs and the cats. And um, yeah, I mean, it's a little chaotic, but like you just got to roll with it. And how are they? Because you said, what would you need if you had to leave your home with a bag on your back, leaving your partner or father or brother behind you and leave? And I've tried to put myself in that position many times over the last few weeks watching it. And I just can't even imagine what it would be like and how traumatic it would be. So so how are they when when you arrived at the airport or, or met with them for the first time? Like they are just incredible. And I think that, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm already learning a lot from them. And I think if we as a country are open to learning at the same time, we, we really will just in terms of how resilient these incredible people are, like we've no idea. But what I would say is they are incredibly grateful Right. And I would say this broadly, not just about Irina and Jenya, but but all the people that we're in contact with, um, Svetlana and Anna, they're completely overwhelmed by the what they keep saying, the kindness and the generosity. Like they can't believe it. They, they, they just can't believe that when I say we, I mean, we and other host families and other communities across Ireland are like opening their homes and offering lifts and buying plane tickets and ferry tickets. and Like they just can't believe it. Um, so they have to kind of go through that process and then and then they arrive. And, you know, again, back to, to recognizing how we have to kind of try and normalize what is a very abnormal situation. Like we have been here uh, in floods of tears, <laughs> right? In floods of tears after maybe one of the dads calls and, and, and they can speak to him for a quick few minutes. And then next thing we've thrown on the greatest showman on Spotify and we're all dancing around the kitchen, just like you would one big mad extended family party. And then, you know, the, the, the light, like life will ebb and flow again. So um, like that, that's how they are. And that's how we are, because we're kind of feeling some of those emotions with them. And yet the commitment to getting the kids in school, like Misha already has a job. Misha arrived last Saturday right? and he went for an interview for a job yesterday and got it like that's how they are and that's not to say that there will not be other people arriving with other needs different levels of trauma different ways of presenting trauma you know because arena you know the gang here will will openly acknowledge that they are the luckier ones like they got out first and fast you know, so they got out to, they got out first and fast. They knew they were coming to a place. They both speak English. They knew what the setup was going to be like in a nightmare situation. It was the best possible version of that, if you know what I mean, like not to take from it at all, but it was the best possible version of a nightmare situation. And yet, Claire, I know from speaking to other people that a bus of, of about a hundred People coming from the Ukraine arrived down to a hotel in Clare not that long ago. And that is a completely different story. Like a nine-year-old arrived. See, this is where the tears will come. Like a nine-year-old arrived in with no shoes, no shoes on his feet. He, he, he had been wearing them for days, like walking to get to where they needed to be to get to Ireland. 
and this little one had no shoes. And like my my daughter is nine. So when I imagine her arriving to a strange hotel in a strange place with no shoes, my heart absolutely breaks. So yeah, that's who we have coming. And I think, you know, it's okay for us to feel the emotions. And I mean, I've cried, oh my God, I've, I've cried so much. <laughs> But then you cry and then you take action, you know, like it's okay to have the feelings and to be moved. And, and I, I, you said something there a second ago, we must not have pity. This is not like, the, you know, to look at the word charitable and whatever, like we don't need to be pity. We don't need to pity these people. We need, or anybody, we need to have compassion for each other and kindness and then take action. That's what we need to do. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Well, just so you know, I've been crying throughout the interview from all <laughs> kinds of things that you said, from the welcome to the greatest showman to obviously <laughs> that story about that nine-year-old boy. And you're right, there's so many more as the horrors unfold, dark days ahead. But to hear that there are so many pockets of joy within that and so much that we can learn, because I I, I, I think people would think, oh, what will happen? And what about our own family? And how can I manage it? And, what, and, and you just bashed through that and thought, we'll worry about that later. <laughs> and actually, it's been fine. You know, it's been fine. And, and it sounds like it's been beautiful in many ways. Oh, 100%. And um, like, again, I, I think we're we're all just really lucky in, in a weird way. Um, and it does mean like, listen, uh, I, I mean, I'm generally a nice person, but I'm not the easiest person on the planet to, to live with. You know, I like things just so. And I like my space. And I like this. So like, I've had to really get over myself, you know, quite a bit. <laughs> And, you know, this morning we were all up, like there was one, two, three, four, five adults and four children, three dogs and three cats in my kitchen this morning. And all of us were trying to make breakfast and get ready because my children, Dylan and Tiersh, were going to school. Um, the gang were going to Yall to register Lisa and Solia for school in Yall. Like it was bananas. And like, everybody just did it like we just moved around the kitchen and somebody passed the milk and somebody pour a coffee and 
then it was like, okay, bye, bye, bye. Gone. Quiet house. Like, <laughs> it's, it's bonkers. And, you know, then at nighttime when everybody's sitting down, people have gone to bed or people are just starting to kind of relax a little bit. The women and I will sit down and we get our laptops open and we're like, right, who do we need to book tickets for? Who needs what? Who's coming where? Right. Send that. Talk to that potential host family, you know, and and the conversations. Oh, my God, if you were to only see the conversations on WhatsApp, like we're all sending families and each other photographs so people know where they're coming to. You know, so this is who I am. This is what our house looks like. This is the room. These are our dogs. Like, you know, to try and take the fear out of it. So, so yeah, like it's bananas. And yet we're, we're really managing it. And um, some days it'll be like, how could I remember to have had, you know, all the tea and the clothes, and the toiletries, but I completely forgot to get an adapter so that the gang could still use their phones and their laptops and their hair dryers, um, you know, just needed a different plug. Um, but yeah, like, listen, we're, we're learning. And, and again, this is just our experience. Other families and other people will have theirs um, and some will be harder than others. And I think that's where we need to access help. That's where you need to have a really good community around you, whether it's where you live. You know, like we we, we went to an event inside in the, the Middleton Family Resource Centre last Saturday and a woman that I know from Ladies Bridge for, you know, the, you know, the hi, how are you? The nod in the, in the car on the, on the road, like came up to me and we swapped numbers. And she said, if your family need lifts, let me know. And I was like, sound. So like, you know, it, it, like it's just the communities coming together with everybody doing what they can, where they can. And then we'd work out a kind of better plan going forward. And then, you know, there's things like formal programs, like the community sponsorship program that has been well established because again, this is something that I'm learning Claire through conversations with Neve, um at D8 refugees and, and everything, you know, we are all looking at and being coming acutely aware of the humanitarian crisis created by this horrific war in the Ukraine. And we are all looking and learning and watching and responding in different ways to helping the people coming through Dublin airport or our ports or whatever into our country. But like the reality is there have been families coming from Syria for years from a different, pers- like in a different way, right? It's not kind of as immediate, if you know what I mean, but still families who can no longer be in their own home, village, town, country and needing to come here. We still have something like, I think it's 8,000 people living in direct provision. 8,000 thousand people living in direct provision 20 something years on so like what we're doing now and the response that we have now needs to be informed by what we have not done well previously so that we can fix it across the board you know and I think that is why we've had the reaction we had because people know we absolutely made mistakes, catastrophic mistakes with direct provision. We brought people over, we felt sorry for them and we just threw them in a corner um, and, you know, gave them the basics and, and left them. Um, well, not, and not even, not even gave them the basics. Like, like not even, have, have you, have you ever been to a, di- a direct provision centre? 
Yeah. And I mean, when I say the basics, I mean a roof over your head and a front door and a voucher to get food or go to the canteen two minutes down the road. But in no way are you able to integrate into real life. A bus will come, take your kids to school, but you have no money to walk down into the local village. You have no way of making friends and connections with people. I I met one guy, um, Mahmood, that I, I stayed in contact with, and he wanted to get more money and he wanted to, he got a job as a security guard, but he would need to drive to that job. There was nobody to accept his driving license here or, you know, help him to get his license here because he had to pay money for the lessons. And it was just oh, so yeah. much red tape. And I mean, and as you say, this goes on for 10 years, 20 years. These yeah. are kids growing up in this. And, you know, even as you're talking about the families now in your house and going to the local school and the granddad getting a, a job. And in some ways, I imagine that's hard for them if I left a war-torn country or my home I would hope I was just coming to stay with this lovely family for Mm -hmm. a few weeks and then heading back to my my own house and my own life but that's not going to be the reality is it and it's going to be a long-term situation and it's really interesting with the human spirit how in all kinds of situations and traumas you cling to those traditional routines of getting up getting breakfast getting the kids out to school, because that's what life is. And and, and people want real life. Uh, agreed. And, and it's back to that lovely kindness of, of the, the man offering the washing line. You know, just make things normal, as abnormal as it is, make things normal and, and, and have a washing line to hang your laundry out on, you know, and, and to not put these blockers in place that you talked about where people who come to our country and are just desperately trying to make the most of a horrific situation and yet every which way they turn it's no 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 like that's your box that's where you stay and yeah I I mean I can't even get into the direct provision situation because I get so very angry about it but we must not continue that and we must not repeat it with the people coming coming now And, and I think Claire you've made a really good point around that sense of how long is this for um yeah like I I, I think there the, I mean again I can only speak about Irina and Jenya and and the gang here now there is that awareness of needing to take action now for the now but I mean we don't speak we don't talk about Christmas or or even the summer you know one of the pieces of advice I got from my friend Leah who, who works with Syrian families. Um, and like, this is the other thing, how important it's going to be for communities and host families to have some awareness of trauma and, and speaking to people and living with people in trauma. And Leah said, you know, just unless your family, unless the people bring it up themselves and initiate the conversation themselves, don't ask about, about family back in the Ukraine because it might be too painful. Like you've no idea what they've left behind so we're really careful as to how that conversation goes so I don't even say things like oh my god um wait until the summer and if we've lovely weather we'll be down at Garyville Beach and we'll go to Ballinwilling and la 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 because yes that's lovely and it's positive and in my heart I'm saying it as in there's something to look forward to and we are include you know we're including you in our plans 
But at the same time, you know, they're not here on a holiday. <laughs> like, so that type of conversation doesn't really fit in the way that you think it might. Um, and also because for me to say that to, to the gang here, it's like, I don't know in their own minds, are they thinking July and August, September in Woodville? You know, I don't, I don't know. So you have to be really careful and really mindful and respectful of that. And um, listen, I'm sure I've already made mistakes and I will make more mistakes. But if I'm open to learning how to do it better, then, you know, the whole situation will improve. But uh, yeah, no, it's a day by day thing in lots of ways. And what support systems are there then? You mentioned that you've been in touch with the the Red Cross and the Guard of Vetting is taking place. But what support systems are there for the families from Ukraine who have moved here and also the families that are hosting them? Like, as you said, there may be situations where things don't work out, where there's a personality clash or a family doesn't feel safe. Mm. Is there a, is there a number to ring? Is there somebody checking in on these families? Is there somebody giving them trauma support or making sure that they're financially and emotionally okay? I think there is a plan emerging around that. Um, Again, people that I've spoken to kind of with my work hat on, but being able to share my just Karen, Paul, Dylan, and Tiersha experience, the messaging is that those supports are there. They need to be scaled simply because of the 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 volume of people that need to be supported and the pace in which this needs to happen. Um, But it's a little bit, it's kind of being built in in the moment. Um, You know, there's a recognition of how important it is for host families to at least be open to being guard the vetted. But, you know, on the one hand, there's talk saying, well, if you have an adult with a child, then that adult is responsible for those children. Or... If it's older people, then the mom, you know, et cetera, et cetera. But like, I don't know. And like the other thing, Claire, is guard the vetting, A, takes ages to be processed and we don't have ages. And the second thing is, and I'm trying to think of a way to say this without swearing. (laughs) Like the guard the vetting will obviously uh, identify people that have a criminal record, right? It doesn't, it doesn't doesn't identify people who are going to take advantage of a situation and taking advantage of a situation can be the very obvious horrific things that we want to clearly avoid like you know abuse etc but you know it just it, it's it's not enough and and at the end of the day at the end of the day there's no perfect solution to this either because we're asking people to welcome people so it's it's a it's a big one but I do think that if there's the plan that that's emerging, the the immediate response was the provision of things like the PPS number, um, which the, like the system at Dublin Airport is incredible. Like the team out there from the Department of Social Protection, like oh my god, Paul Paul, my partner Paul has been up to welcome people and, and help with the transport, and he is just like they are awesome. Like it's a bit chaotic, and it's going to get even more busy but what he witnesses every time is this the kindness and the compassion that is there like because they're human meeting humans right so that's got to continue but still have efficiency at the of the processes but I don't know what's happening Claire in terms of things like 
I mean, again, I, I just put myself in, in, in their shoes. Like I'm, I have asthma. So what would I do? How, how quickly could I get an inhaler if I was in there, if I was in their situation? Um, you know, and those kind of medical, immediate medical needs as opposed to acute medical needs. Um, so I do think, and I, I know I'm not answering the question very well, but it's because I don't really know the answer. I don't know if anybody knows the answer other than that the plan is being formed as we go. Um, I do know, like, and I've heard some interesting conversations around whether or not host families would be allocated uh, a payment. I know that's what they're doing in the UK. And yes, I can see the benefit of that because there will be families who may have the space, but, you know, not a lot of spare income for the extra heating oil, heating costs or electricity costs or whatever that are going to come in when your house goes from, you know, small to large overnight. But at the same time, you know yourself, you bring money into the equation as an incentive. Does that attract different type of people into the mix? I, I don't know. Like there's people involved in that that are more used to, to this than I. All I know is whatever's happening at that top level and meeting immediate needs has to be supported by the community and in the community. Otherwise, it, it there's no resettlement. You know what I mean? Otherwise, it just all stays top level over there and there's no real kind of bedding in uh in the grassroots so those two those two have to work hand in hand yeah you're so right so from the top there seems to be a plan emerging and as you say there are structures in place and community is where it's going to be at because you said earlier we opened up our community that perhaps we had lost a little bit with the always on busy, busy cultures we had going on. And during COVID, everybody was like, who's vulnerable in our society mm. or in our neighborhood? How can we help them and what can we do? And everyone from GAA clubs were organizing shopping and calling into people. And, you know, it, that's the kind of effort because I've heard the common sense is prevailing a little bit like families are offering homes, but then it turns out they're a little rural and, you know, they won't have transport to yeah. get into the local village or get their kids to the school. So hopefully where families are being placed is within communities and is within neighborhoods where everybody can look out for each other. And we have the technology there. You spoke about that at, at Change X. You know, we've got WhatsApp groups, Facebook book groups. We have ways of pulling homes across a county together and being able to, to contact each other and not be afraid to say what you have said. I made a mistake. I've fecked this up. Try not to say that or this worked really well for me or yeah. we need this. We need that. So we can communicate openly together and really keep an eye on each other. I'm conscious there will be people listening that will be really motivated by what you're saying and want to help. So how can communities really help aside from watching out for each other mm. and, and keeping in contact, like I said? Yeah. And, and, and just before I answer that question, right, what you what you just said there about us sharing knowledge and learnings with each other, like Mary, who is going to host Anna State, Mary and her partner, Paul, like we were chatting the other day and I shared with her that in, in our house, you know, the white stickers that you get for putting on your kids copy books and stuff that Tatiana came up with the idea that we would take those stickers and put them on 
daily things like the jar of honey and the mug and the, you know whatever and write the English word on them because she doesn't speak English and it's like that's such a great idea and so <laughs> I know that sounds really really small but that is a very definite action that people can take and so we have to share them around with each other and then and then it's other things Claire like um, we don't have any curtains up in our house right because the whole house was having a bit of a, a rebuild and the first night that 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 Tati, or sorry, the first night that um, that uh, Jenya and Irina arrived, they were asleep in bed. It was midnight, and I realised I hadn't got into their rooms to put up the blankets. You know, the you know, yeah, the way you hang the duvet covers over the windows. And I was standing at the two bedrooms, which are my children's rooms normally, about to go in, and then I was like, "Oh no, I I cannot go into these people's rooms." Like these are their rooms. And yes, it was with the best of intention. And I thought it was going to creep in and black out the window so they wouldn't be woken up in the morning. But I was like, that is not okay. That is not okay. These are their rooms, their privacy. I need to respect that 100% and literally back away. And it's learnings like that, that we have to share with each other because none of us know how to do this stuff. Do you know what I mean? Like we really don't. But they're the things that make a big difference, as small and as insignificant as they might seem. Uh, they do make a big difference. But anyway, to properly answer your question, how can communities help and get involved? So I think as ever, um, as ever, my response to that question would be for people to realize that everybody can do something. Everybody can do something for each other. and. It can quite literally be from a smile on the road to a WhatsApp message to say, I hear you're doing this or I hear you're doing that. Well done. Thanks a million. Let me know if there's anything I can help. Because not everybody will have space with which to host a family or one person, three people, seven people, whatever. Not everybody will have that opportunity. But people can rally around and offer things like lifts um, my friend Shermin arrived to the house the other day with a full chicken casserole, a homemade cake and a big pot of soup. Amazing. Like done, done. My mom rocks in and takes a load of laundry and gets that done. Niall arrived the other day with a trailer to go and collect the mattress. That's that done. So I think it's looking at how the host family and the host home is maybe the anchor point and then everybody else rowing in best they can uh, to, to support that, that new household. And then obviously you have very practical supports like the schools doing what they need to do um, to help the children uh, be registered and, and welcomed, um, drawing on existing places like the family resource centres, whatnot, whereby we have things like English classes, um, people who want to come and learn how to do interview techniques or get their CVs ready or whatever. Again, it's just, you know, welcoming and integrating and bringing in and then little by slowly looking at what are people's interests? Like, is it sport? Is it a choir? Is it growing? What else is going on in people's communities that we can welcome um, these families to come and join so they, they really feel part of and not just something that's kind of tolerated uh, over there because nobody nobody would like that feeling. And then I think, look, keep keep an eye too. I mean, I know I'm, I'm speaking with with um, 
the incredible people at NASC about the uh, an amnesty around the community sponsorship program. So if I put my work hat on for a quick second. So the community sponsorship program is a really simple but very effective way of welcoming families into communities and providing the home and all the supports that are needed. Um, and we're hoping to bring that onto the ChangeX platform. Uh, that's still very much TBC. So, you know, I'm not, I don't want to be speaking out of term. If it's not through us, it'll be in some other way. But ideally to take it onto the ChangeX platform so that other communities can look at it, apply the ChangeX five steps. You do this, you do this, you do this, you do this, you do this. We're hoping to be able to secure some funding to put behind it um, because there are costs involved and that's okay. And then you just keep going and then you share what works and you make amends for what doesn't <laughs> and and off you go and all the time looking to see what we're being guided by um to a certain degree government to do or the agencies to do in terms of making sure you know that we're uh meet the standards around things like guard the vetting etc etc and then if and i do hope this happens there are caseworkers recruited and trained to help host families and the families coming in to stay, then avail of those supports as well. So like it's a very long answer because there is there's no you do this, this and this or, you know, phone this 1-800 number because um, it's very much a work in progress. But but there but there are things in place. I think there just needs to be a plan to really pull it all together in a, in a coordinated, coordinated way. Um, speaking to Siobhan at Uplift, like another amazing platform, which she's working on doing a big call to action to help communities identify other people in the community who can give different levels of time, uh, different skills to help coordinate a community response. Yeah, like it's all happening in different pockets we're just trying to to pull it together um i don't honestly know if joe o'brien and and people in in that department are speaking to all the right people at all the right time but i i certainly hope that there is an intention there to do so because we have the answer we we just need to have the same conversation at the same time yeah because there's going to be there's going to be people with the skill set that you're talking about. I mean, I worry about our social workers because that system is already at breaking point. Yeah. So to try and tag on more seems ambitious, but not not impossible. But I, I think there's people listening. It's going to have to be a really coordinated effort, as you say. At the moment, it's quite... um knee jerk and amazing and random and WhatsApps are being sent. And that's all going to be part of it, because, as you say, that all incrementally builds. But whether it's transport companies, whether it is caseworkers now who say, you know what, I can give four hours in the evening um, once a week and and it all sort of comes together. There are people with the skill sets and the resources that are needed that could just pull together. So we just need that central system to try and, and, and help pull that together. I mean, even me here, you know, in my own house, I'm kind of looking around at, you know, brand new boxes of Lego that never got opened over Christmas. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm like, can I add to that with some, you know, new goods? Where do I bring them? What do I do with them? And I'm sure there's houses like that all over the country. So 
do you suggest we register with Uplift or register our interests somewhere or how can people take it that step on? Yeah, good good question. Um, and, and again, I, I think something you've said there made me realise like the, the reality is Ireland and the infrastructure behind Ireland was was at, at breaking point anyway. Like, you know, we, we, we talk around the need to support the Ukrainian families coming in from a mental health perspective. And yet the provision for mental health in this country is an absolute disgrace like an absolute disgrace. We talked about the challenge of uh, lack of transport in rural communities well before anybody else arrived in the doors of Dublin airport. Like, the, you know, what's happening now, it, do, it doesn't mean that we, we must not do what needs to be done, but it is really going to highlight the serious gaps that were already there, as you said, whether it's social workers or mental health provision or, or you know what somebody said to me the other day, what's going to happen with secondary schools? I mean, I know there's a waiting list for secondary schools in Middleton for children that have, you know, gone through primary for the last six years. But we, we have a 13 and a 15 year old arriving in next week from the Ukraine. Like, how, how am I going to help find them a secondary school place? You know, so... Anyway, sorry, I know that sounds a bit knee-jerky and, and, and negative, but like the way Ireland was set up, particularly to support rural communities and, and in other areas around health and, and whatnot, was sorely lacking anyway. And it's only going to be exasperated by the fact that we now have more people that are going to need to access those services. So somebody somewhere, and I know that sounds very casual, but somebody somewhere needs to make a decision to make investment in those areas now because they are going to be needed more than ever and, and we hadn't even started to consider what supports were going to be needed to deal with the trauma on the back of covid like that hasn't gone away you know what i mean like all the other fallouts from covid and that pandemic like they haven't gone away so yeah I, I do hope there are people who can make decisions and do whatever needs to be done sitting around having having those conversations like you and I are, Claire. But back to the what can I do, what can we do question. Um, I know that the plan to create the uh, kind of community response on uplift is a work in progress. I know that, and, and, and again, Siobhan, I'm sure, will, 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 will let us know as and when that's completely ready to go. Um, I know the community sponsorship programme is in place. I mean, it, it, it is there. It's already in, in action. There's communities. I was listening to a woman down in Line recently, you know, share her experience. So that's already there. Um, that's something that people may want to look into and, and check out. And um, I think the other my other advice would be to stay alert, like stay alert, watch the news, see what people are, are advising and see what the response is going to be. And then get behind other people. Like there's an incredible group of women here have taken over a, an empty shop in Middleton, which is my nearest town. Um, and they've been donated the space, like the auctioneers and insurers have come behind them to make it all meet standards, blah, blah, blah. And then suddenly they've created a shop that we can all bring our donations to. Those boxes of Lego, Claire, that you talked about, like 
bring them in so that the families from the Ukraine um, can go in and act and pick and choose, you know, like, like pick something that they like and that fits and they like the color of, you know, all of those things that are really important um, to make people feel respected and welcomed. So anyway, that's what I think we should do. If you can get behind a program that are uh, making meals, like just just ask, go and find out in your community. You, you all know who to go to. We all know who the, who those people are. Um, go and find out and ask, how can I help? What can I do? And if you identify a gap, if there's something that's not being done in your area, well then, you know what, step up. Step up and be that person. Be the change, be the change. You say it yourself, step up and be the change and then just make it happen. Yeah, and I think, you know, everything we were talking about, about, you know, the, the mental health services, the social work being on its knees, we can be paralyzed to inaction. And it's really important not to to lose hope and not to be unmotivated by that. And that small incremental changes really do make all the difference because you're talking about it on a macro level, but you're also talking on a micro level about people that drop up a bit of soup or go and collect the mattress. And that's just as big as coordinating on a bigger level. And not to bring it back to, I mean, why wouldn't we do this? Why wouldn't we help vulnerable people? But it's so important to our health and well-being that we feel connected and feel like we're giving back in some way. And as as a health and wellness presenter, I have been had so many experts in front of me from neuroscientists to psychiatrists to well-being experts, you name it. And it's so important to us as humans that we connect and give back because that is really what it's all about. I agreed. That is really what it's all about. And, you know, I'm I'm oddly so grateful for this opportunity. Um, whilst I don't wish the pain and devastation on 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 Irina or Jenya or anybody in the Ukraine, you know, you have you have to, I have to take positives in in some make shape way or form. And like when I look at my children. Dylan and Saoirse, like I am so proud of them. And I know that for them, this life experience is going to be one of their most defining life experiences. And I and I do hope that it means that they will go on to be the change makers of their generation, that this experience for them uh, shapes them and how they see themselves in the world um, we could never at the start of the year have imagined that we were going to be having two little five-year-olds, Lizzie and Solia, jumping around on our trampoline with us. And yet my children are having that, that particular life experience. And so they know that everybody can do something. And And you mentioned earlier coming from a traumatic situation and you and your son having to lean on the mm. kindness of a friend of a friend and you were able to build on that to get where you are you are now so kindness means so much oh yeah like 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 so I'm, I'm even caught again just just at that memory of it I, I just remember I remember the feeling I had when I got the call to say it's okay I have I have an apartment for you. You can go here. Oh my God, I'll I'll never forget it. And um, 
you know, I have been given ki- kindness so many times in my world, Claire, you know, um, life has not always been easy and no more than the rest of us, I have experienced a variety of life challenges. But you know what? Nine times out of 10, there was somebody there who gave me a hand up and uh, I then had to make the decision to take it. But every single time that kindness and like and and it, and like even thinking about it now, like it came from the most surprising of places. Like we have no idea the impact that we can have in the world. Like no idea. Like let let me share one with you that's not quite so serious, right? So when I was doing Grow Cookies, which is how you and I first connected, and I was. I did grow cookies and that was out on the telly and la 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 la. And a card was put through my front door from a man that I knew in the village that I had no real connection with, right? And that most people would probably have written off in a whole variety of ways. And this man had taken the time to handwrite me a card to say, well done and congratulations and that the village should be very proud. Like, I'll never forget it. I'll never forget it. And like, that's just a simple act and a simple, what, what's the expression? A random act of kindness. So everybody can do something. Everybody can do something. The, the children that are making the welcome cards for the, for the kids arriving in the door to Dublin airport, the, the washing lines, the pots of soup, like everybody can do something and um, kindness begets kindness. And and I think there's an awful lot wrong with this world. Like, oh my God, like there's an awful lot wrong with this world. And as we said at the start of the call, I, I'm, I'm ignorant when it comes to a lot of what's happening in the world because it just would paralyze me if I got to, if I looked at it for too long. But by God, there's an awful lot of right as well. Like there really is, there really is. Like when you bring it back down to human people and human connection and simple acts, they all, they all add up. And we are so powerful. Like all of that goodness in the moment and in the day, every day creates change. Karen, that was just the most beautiful conversation that I don't think (laughs) I will ever forget. Thank you so much for for talking to me today. And uh, yeah, I'm inspired to enjoy to join you on these small acts that really build to something huge. And it is huge what you're doing. So thank you so much. Be well. Thank you for listening to Changemakers. If you enjoyed the podcast, I would love if you would take a moment to rate, review and subscribe. It helps other people to find the podcast too. Take care. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.